Hello, you're listening to the Mr. Money Jar podcast. Mr. Money Jar here. This episode is taken from an Instagram live and has been uploaded in its entirety. This means that some of what you hear may seem odd in an audio format. For example, there might be references to questions that appeared during the live, plus some audience interaction, and very rarely some swearing or audio mishaps. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. Oh, Mr. Money Jar here. I hope you're well. We are here for episode 74 of the Mr. Money Jar show. We were unable to have a show last week due to the outage, but we are back. And we're going to be joined by Emily Bellet, the author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich, and the founder of Vespod. And I first met Emily at a Monzo event in 2018, and I was sat in the audience, and she was being interviewed by Laura Waitley. Hey, uh, Raincheck, great to see you in the uh, chat. So it's a huge privilege to be able to be interviewing Emily today, considering the last time I saw her, I was um, like in the audience, as it were. I can see that Emily has uh, requested to join, so let's get her into the live. Hi, Emily, how are you? Hi. Very, hey, very Timmy, good. Thank how are you, you so much. For... Yeah, you too. Nice to see um, you. I was just saying before you came on, um, I've seen you in person, but I'm not sure if you've seen me because um, I attended what, you know, when Monzo used to do those um, like meetups? Yeah. I, I remember. Laura Waitley. And uh, with Laura Waitley, yeah, I and think, and Marisa Bay. You were just starting yeah. off Vespod at that time. And um, you spoke really like eloquently and beautifully about the importance of investing and like really um, simplified money down. And that um, was really motivating for me because I was beginning my personal finance journey at that time. So I just wanted to say big fan and thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, no, I really remember this event. It was super well attended, Monzo yeah. offices, maybe, I don't know, 100 people. And just talking about, yeah, money. We, we talked a little bit about investing, um, but I think it was really cool. Um, so yeah, it was sort of the beginning of Vespod, but, you know, trying, I think, it was, mm. yeah, 2018 was quite a big year for us. I was just running around to talks <laughs> everywhere, which was great and exhausting, but it was fantastic to be able to meet so many people and, and have this like one-on-one -on -one conversation uh, with everyone, because I think that's one way also, you know, you learn a lot through videos and, and I've learned a lot in books and we're going to talk about the books and YouTube and stuff, but actually meeting people one-on-one, -on -one, I think that's where you have these like little, you know, pieces of advice, little tips, um, and this so can really be like changing. So the just said in the chat, love the you're not broke, you're pretty rich. Yeah. Both first. Um, welcome to the club, Black Polaroid. Um, and we're going to go into <laughs> the book in a second. But just for the people, Emily, who've been living on a desert island since 2018, who are you and what is Vespot? Tell us a bit about what you do. Of course. So I am the founder of Vespod and we are financial education platform, mostly for women. So I just help people to talk about money, think about money, um, think about money more positively, have this conversation and really try to reach financial independence, whatever it means for you, because I believe, you know, money is choices, uh, money is freedom. It's not the pursuit of money. We, you know, we'd like all to be rich and stuff, but rich for, for what? Um, so it's really trying to feel good about money. And I thought, you know, getting people together, building a community, that was really my, my objective with Vespot. So we have this awesome community. We run workshops, classes. I'm an author, so I wrote this book called You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich, and we're going to talk about this revised version. Uh, and I'm also a podcaster like you, <laughs> you know, the, so lo lots of many things, but we, we're building this like huge media platform basically for women to be able to, and, um, to talk about money. Yeah, so Vespod, a separate brand to like You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. I remember in the event that I attended, you had left a job in the investment industry to become like, to, to launch Best Pod and, and to become an author. Why did you choose to leave the investment industry to do this? Like what, what was particularly calling you at that point in time? 
So I spent a bit of time um, yeah, in finance. As you say, I worked in private equity. So my, my job was really to look at businesses, work with my team, with the management team, improve the performance of the company, help the company grow. Uh, we were keeping these companies in our portfolio for maybe five years. Um, so that's, you do an entry, you buy this company, you can leverage it if you want. And at the end of the five years, you sell these companies and you return money to your investors. So, you know, super challenging job, super interesting, um, you know, like great conversation, learning a lot, working a lot. Um, and I spent like eight years in the, in the industry, but then, you know, I realized, okay, I want to do something else. I want to do something bigger. I can't, you know, I, I wasn't really seeing myself as a, you know, partner in finance or in, at least in private equity. You see very few women there also. Um, so, you know, as a junior, I think we, we're yeah. almost at, you know, parity men, men and women. But then after a few years, the women are leaving. Uh, and then at some point, you feel a bit lonely. <laughs> and you feel like, you know, you see your partners traveling all, all over all over the place, all over the world. And you're like, okay, is it going to be like my life? Basically, you know, working um, nonstop on these big transactions and you can't predict anything. And, and, and I thought, okay, let's, you know, I want to leave. I want to do something else. Uh, so against everybody's opinion, <laughs> my parents, family, friends were like, you're crazy. This is such a good job. You can't really leave banking. You should stay there a few more years. And I thought, no, I need to do, you know, I need to do something bigger. I want to do something else. I want to try to be an entrepreneur. Um, and I left actually uh, to, to start a first okay. business in the tech recruitment space. Um, so we raised a bit of money for that after a year and a half, long story short, we closed it. So imagine I was coming from banking, uh, you know, like comfortable salary, then leaving, becoming an you know, entrepreneur, building my own, own startup and then closed my business, pregnant with my first uh, son. And I was like at home and I was like, oh my God, have I made the right, you know, the right choices? I think looking back, it, it was, you know, great, it's great to fail, great to learn from these things. Um, and that, at this time, I, I realized, okay, actually, money is quite tricky because now, you know, I don't have an income. Um, you you associate yes. your self worth to how much you earn. Usually, it's it's really really hard to think about these things. Um, and looking back, I realized, you know, I should have started managing my own finances much, you know, earlier on. So I worked in finance. So what happened? Uh, have I, you know, missed something? I never got, you know, any financial advisor. We never talked about money with my parents. I, uh, I went to university. I went to business school. I studied finance, economics, and management. But yet, no one ever told me how to, you know, do a do a budget, um, and then how to invest your your own money. So. At Lehman, I worked for Lehman Brothers for a year. I had a pension. Then, as you know, Lehman went bust. So I, I moved on to work for this private equity fund. It was a big fund. Like we had a lot of money to invest. We had like, you know, three billion over in, in the US and Europe. But yet I didn't have a pension because pensions were, you know, not mandatory. So, you know, you're just saving in a cash account and you think, and I'm sure a lot of you are in this position, you know, it's quite hard to save. You save a little bit and you keep it in cash because you think it's safe. And then you'll invest later and later. But yeah, actually, you should start now if you can, you know, if, if you have like enough, enough money, enough disposable income to, to be able to do so. So that's how I started Vespod, really thinking about women and money, educating myself on YouTube, <laughs> literally reading all these books from the US. But I'm, I'm French, but I live in London and I realized, how do I learn now about workplace pensions and ISA and all the UK side of things? So I started just to write about money. There's like, you know, fantastic bloggers here in the UK, super supportive community, learning from each other, writing my newsletter. And then I started to organize classes. So the first class was really awkward. <laughs> um, but then, you know, slowly building, you know, groups of women, getting them together into a room. I was worried no one would show up. <laughs> and, you know, my friends came, <laughs> some colleagues, ex-colleagues came and stuff. So you know, once you do it once, then it, 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 it gets better. Uh, and we launched these like small classes for women. And, and there was like such a good energy in the room, really positive, really empowering. Uh, and I felt this is one way to change things and really open up the, the conversations. Because when you look at statistics, women retire extremely poor. We don't have enough money in our pension pots. We can retire with you know, 20% of pension savings of, of men. Um, for women of color, for black women, it's even worse. So, you know, where, where are we, when do we start? And we have to start this conversation very young because um, we're not going to have the same like career path as men, as men. 
Um, there's the gender pay gap, so we still earn less than men. Then we tend to take career breaks to take care of our communities, maybe families, children, if we want to have children, um, tend to work part-time, maybe more flexibly. So that's going to have an impact also on how much money we can save. And then it's this problem of maybe confidence or being a bit, bit too cautious with our saving because maybe we have less money saved. We don't want to invest everything in what we think the stock market is or something, you know, quite scary. Um, so that's also having like a very long-term impact on, yeah, on, on our pensions and how much we have uh, for retirement. But we also live longer, Tini. So <laughs> when, you know, when do we start? We have to start in, you know, today. Uh, it's never too late, but, you know, the so earlier, things, the, earlier um, the better. I'd love to unpack from what you've just said. But I will say too, because I had quite a few people join the live is, we're here with Emily Belly, um, the founder of Vespod and the author of You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. Um, do submit your questions in the chat. We love to go through all of the questions on the Mr. Money Jar Show. And we don't um, have Emily with us every day. So do send us your um, The Black Polaroid says, uh, just in response <laughs> to what you're saying, Emily, same, my parents never discussed finances with me. I think it's so important, especially for those going to university. Absolutely agree. I thought what was interesting in what you were just saying, Emily, was this idea that you'd spent your entire life working in finance, but that you hadn't looked after your own finances. And I wonder if there is a thing that happens that when you're very close to a subject, almost a specialist in a subject, you focus more on the specialism, but instead of on the general bits, I won't um, name any names, but my wife, if she's watching, will know what I'm referring to. I went out with a family of doctors the other day, and <laughs> one of them was an anesthetist. And yeah. even though that was her profession, she found it very difficult to explain how it worked because she had a very specialized like role in, in, in all of that. Whereas her dad was more of a general practitioner and could describe how anesthetic worked. So that's just um, what came to mind for me. Maybe if you work super specific in investment, then you completely bypass things like pensions and budgets because they're more general topics. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I, I completely agree with you. And, and, and you see, when I wor you work in finance or corporate finance, you tend to work on like huge transactions. Um, and then you think, yeah, but actually doing my budget on my salary, you know, maybe doesn't matter that much. You know, I'm going to wait to maybe earn more money or I'll wait for my next promotion or I'll wait until I get another job or, you know, until I can organize my finances. But actually, no, it's really like starting today at your, you know, scale like super small scale because when we talk about compounding in investment it's the same with with yourself your life like you go to the gym every day yeah you get better it's not like tomorrow you're gonna wake up and run you know run a marathon so i think it's the same for for personal finances but there's also this maybe this shame around saying that yeah. you know i work in finance but actually I never check my bank account. I don't know how much money I have. And you work in finance, it's okay. You know, it's like being super privileged and, 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 it's, and it's fine and we should open up about these things. But I think for everyone is, you know, it's okay not to manage your own finances because we've never, you know, we've never done it. We don't know how to do it. And, and we're talking about universities. We started to do like a few talks and organize a few talks, especially around the book uh, about personal finances because, you graduate from uni, you already have like your student loans, you have your credit cards, and then it's like, okay, good luck. Now try, you know, try your own luck. Um, you're going to receive a salary. Maybe you're going to be looking for a job. You'll have to repay your loan. You'll have to find, maybe move to London, maybe find a flat and do your own budget. But no one is, is telling you how to do these things. And at some point you're like 22, 23, and you're like, Oh, actually, I'm not going to ask these questions because I look really, really stupid. And no, you don't. But, you know, where do you actually ask these questions if you can't ask your parents, if you can't ask your friends, maybe because you have some credit card debt or maybe you've been struggling with money. Um, so that can be, that can be a bit scary. I disagree with you there, Emily. You say no one is telling you these things, but you are through this. And I would love to <laughs> ask you um, who this book is ideally for and what motivated you to write it? I'm sure you, I think you may have covered what motivated you to write it, but I'm interested in particular, you know, like the pages of this, I've never opened a book backwards, but it's sort of re, kind of like a non-fiction book, but also <laughs> like a manual, like it's broken down into sections and stuff. So 
who's the ideal reader for this book? Who's going to benefit from it? And um, what, you know, why did you choose to write it? So I actually, I mean, I'm going to tell you this, this story about, you know, why, why writing this book. Um, so we, we started Vesper, that I told you, you know, weekly newsletter. I was learning about money, trying to write about money, sending it to my friends. We're like, why is she talking about money? Started sending it to their friends. And actually, um, a few journalists were, you know, subscribing to my newsletter. And one of them, Tabby, she sent, she sent it to a publisher at Hachette, um, Romilly who is now my editor. So she's like, wow, that's amazing. We need to talk about money. Uh, you know, no one does that. So how, you know, right. can we turn your newsletter actually into a book, into a guide? And we, we wanted to do something really practical initially, you know, for women, because my community was, was for women, but it was trying to, for me, help you build a plan because maybe you have a financial advisor, but I think most people don't have a financial advisor. There's a big advice gap in the UK. Um, it costs you money to actually go and, and see an advisor. Um, it would be amazing to all of our financial advisor that we could call any time, but unfortunately it's not the case. So I wanted you to be able to have this little Bible, money Bible that you could, you know, pick, pick up anytime and check one thing like what's a stock change either? What's a pension? What is like a money mindset? Um, or just like if you have no idea about how to manage your finances, start from scratch, which means trying to understand how you feel about money, your emotions, your money mindset, then slowly how to repay debt, then go into budgeting, financial goals, and then really building your future. So for me, I see it as a timeline of you get the book today. You don't need to read everything in one go because can be a bit overwhelming uh, to just manage all, you know, do a plan for all your finances, but you can just read one chapter, you know, put it back. And then a month later, six months later, come back to it and, and, and read again, like a few, um, a few chapters or a few lines. So we're just trying to give you a few tips, like very practical guidance. Um, there's like, you know, a few tables and stuff. So you can do these little exercises for yourself, but it's really how I did it for myself. Um, you know, learning and digesting all this like personal finance information. Um, there's some of the work that you could do with an advisor. Uh, but again, even if you have an advisor, you want to see an advisor, just do it for yourself. You know, sit down with the book um, or maybe, you know, it's a good excuse to open up a conversation with a friend. You can give the book to someone or you can actually give your book to someone, which is even better um, if you finished it. And, and really spark this like little conversation. And then we had this yellow first. edition. <laughs> that was the first one, but it was very big. <laughs> so that's why we published this like new one. Uh, the green one, it's still, it's quite glossy and stuff and it's much smaller. Um, so it's like 130, yeah, 140 pages. And we thought, okay, it's gonna be easier to digest and it's not as intimidating as seeing a 350 pages uh, book about money and, and investing. So I'd say for anyone who wants to get started managing their finances or if you already have a budget, you know a few things, but maybe you want to get started investing money, um, this, this, is all, um, this is all in the book. So it's a bit of, yeah, hand holding, um, motivation for you to get started. Thank you so um, much. I just wanted finances. to acknowledge a commenter from a few minutes ago, Mortgage Mind, um, who asked any tips for people who want to get started investing. That's actually one of the questions I have, Mortgage Mind, so we'll come on to that question. Um, as you were speaking, Emily, we had a couple comments um, from Gratitude and Coffee um, saying, this may be going against the grain of what is being discussed. I'm also mindful of over 55s who are struggling to make ends meet following the pandemic or anyone with a job loss who is struggling. And then there's a part two of the comment, which is question continued. Would you also give the same energy to asking anyone who can take out 25% of their pension, the tax-free element, not necessarily all of it, but some to live now. Um, that's quite a long question. So I'll try to sort of paraphrase it. I hope I don't miss out on from it, but I think a lot of our, what the subtext there is, a lot of our conversation has been focused on uh, younger people, people in their early 20s, younger professionals, um, are the topics you speak about and is the book, um, can it also be used by people that are later stages in their life? I think, so it's, yeah, targeted at a younger audience, but when you think about managing your finances, writing a budget, writing your financial goals, I think it's, you know, never too late to get started and 
when you do this exercise, you have to reassess because life is changing. You had a plan in your 20s, in your 30s, but as you know, you know, you know things change and, and there's lots of, you know, unexpected. So I think, you know, all the basics of personal finance can be applied to your life whenever you want. Then, of course, how pensions work, how, how investing works, that's going to be really important for you if you're 25 or if you're 55. Now, the difference is going to be that if you're 25, usually you can take a little bit more risk with your money, especially with your investments, because you have a lot of time until you retire. So the more time you have, usually the more risk you can take. But now if you're 55, you have a different perspective because maybe you see yourself working another 10 years or another 15 years, or you don't know, actually. So you want to make sure you want a bit more certainty um, on, your, on your finances. And that's why you may invest your money differently. So we can talk about, you know, when you build a portfolio of funds, you can invest slightly in something that's slightly more predictable, like bonds, for example. And when you're younger, you tend to invest a little bit more in, in equities or in shares of companies. So again, that's not financial advice. But I believe that when you're 55, when you get closer to, I mean, 55, you're still super young. <laughs> but, you know, you think you're getting closer to maybe like pension age or you need to have more visibility you will want to do something else, maybe. Uh, I think it's it's important at this stage to be able to consult with a financial advisor. Um, it's not necessarily going to be the case when you're, you know, in your 20s, it's your first salary and you don't have a lot of financial obligation. But at, at some point in your life when you want to make sure you will have enough money and you're not going to run out, run out of money. And what a pension is, is basically a pot of money that will pay you an income, that will pay you a salary when you stop working. So, um, you know, in case something happens, you have to stop working tomorrow. Do you have enough money on the side? So, you know, taking, making the choice of taking this 25% tax-free, if you need it today, okay, but as 25% of your pot, that's, that's gone. What do you do with this money? Do you keep it on the cash account at 0.1%? Do you invest it and you take more risk, but then you lose a bit of certainty on this money? So I think an advisor here would be like a really, really smart move. And I know the government has lots of initiatives, um, you know, giving like free tips and guidance and stuff for when, when you reach um, retirement age. So I'd say, you know, all the principles of personal finance, budgeting, financial goals, you always and always have to review these things. But then in your investment strategy, um, that can vary a lot from, you know, being in your 20s to actually yeah. being maybe when it comes to things like 60. pensions and investments, it's really important to um, work with the person's specific circumstances, which is something that an advisor would be able to do. Um, in addition to educating yourself through books and, and blogs and, and whatnot. Uh, Miss Campbell 2021 says, hi, I love the title. Thank you very much for joining. Um, my uh, next <laughs> question you. for you is, um, you say in your book that money is a feminist issue. I think that you may have touched upon this before, but could you sort of explain what you mean by that? Yeah, of course. So I think men and women, we, we are going to face different issues <laughs> in our life, and that's going to have an impact on our financial lives. Um, so I talked a little bit about the gaps, you know, the gender gap. And for me, that's really important to explain this again. And if you're a man, you should stay on this call <laughs> because that's going to be really important for you to help maybe friends around you, to help your partner, to help maybe your kids, to help your daughters. So, um, you know, women are still paid less than men. And I said that before. Um, so it's going to be a bit harder to save more money. And also the way pensions are structured today, pensions are um, a percentage of your income. So if you don't have you know, your salary increase, if you don't get this promotion because you've been out of work, because you had a baby, I have three kids. So for me, I was out of work for you know, at least three to six months for each kid. Um, and that means a drop in, in income. So that means money that being saved because also you know, your you're out of work, you're taking care of your children and you're like, my pension, whatever, you know, I'm not going to pay into my pension. I don't have enough money. And then you go back to work. Um, so for me, I'm an entrepreneur, which I don't know if it's better. <laughs> I have the flexibility, but I don't, you know, don't have the income and I don't have the support also from the government when I take some time off. Um, but just make sure when you go on maternity leave, for example, is making sure you check your maternity policy, you check you're not losing out on any benefits, but it's also having this conversation with your partner, um, you know, unless you, you're a single man, which can be a bit, a bit more tricky, but it's, you know, can your partner pay into your pension? 
you know, uh, because maybe he's working. Can he support you during these years when you're out of the workforce? Because that will help you also bridge your gap. And then do you have these conversations around childcare? Because very often women, we think we have to assume 100% of the cost of childcare. And then we compare our salary when we go back to work to how much we're going to pay in childcare. But actually, can you do that together? Can you look at your salaries combined? You decide you both want to continue working. That's can, that can you both contribute to the cost of childcare to make sure, you know, men and women, you stay in your job and you can keep up with your earning and earnings progression because that's going to make a huge difference um, at the end of the line. Um, then when we think about, um, you know, why is money a feminist issue? I think there's a, a topic also around, around debt um, and, you know, being able, because women have also, you know, lower salary, they may, you know, end up in debt a bit more easily and maybe a bit more like short-term debt. So we need to organize our finances um, differently also. Um, and that's why... We need to rethink sort of the financial system. Uh, if you look at financial institutions and bank, you're going to see mostly like men at the top. I mean, of course, there's very good, you know, exceptions. Um, but it's been, you know, the financial system has been built by men for men, which was fine, but which is not fine now <laughs> anymore. So women, they will be at the center of the household, managing all the household decisions, making these household decisions. But actually, they're not going to have the end choice on investments, for example, on pensions, on mortgages, because they tend to leave men, um, you know, make, make these decisions. So I think it's trying to involve more women in the conversation. And often I hear... Women are not interested in finances. You know, my wife, she doesn't want to do that and stuff. Okay, it's not true. It's just because maybe we've been patronized for very long <laughs> and we feel very stupid in front of this subject sometimes. But actually, women are really good investors. And when you look at studies, women return more with their investments than men. So it's just trying to boost our confidence and being there during these important conversations and making these financial choices. Also, I think when you look at financial institutions, financial advisors, um, they tend to work more on a, you know, product base, financial return base. And I think women, they, they want something different from their bank, from their financial institutions. They want to look at holistically, okay, this is my life. Am I okay? Will I have enough money for myself? Will I have enough money for my children? Okay, I care about my investments. I care about my performance. I really care about where my money is invested, but just can I make sure I have enough for today? I have enough for my future. So I think we, we're going to be focusing less on maybe financial products, financial return, even if, you know, we want our money to work hard for us, but we may have a different approach um, to, to, to financial management. And that's why it's been amazing over the past few years to see a lot of female financial educators, um, you know, on Instagram and, you, have, you know, many of them um, on your podcast. And I know some, some of you are, are here tonight listening to our conversations. But because women, we, we can have different conversations. Um, and we think it's really helpful to, you know, get a group of women together to talk about money. And, and it's going to be, you see, it's going to be in a, you know, different, different way, different style. I don't, I don't think it's better or worse, <laughs> but I think it's having this like different, different conversation. And for me, what was quite shocking is while I was working in banking, um, you know, for Lehman Brothers, I was working in Canary Wharf. And after work at the pub, the guys would talk about their investments. They would talk about money and, and you know, maybe they've, made money on this, they lost money, whatever, but they were actually learning by doing and, you know, losing small amount of money or making a little bit of money, but they were already like in this investing game and women were sort of waiting a little bit to get started because we're like, mm, maybe it's not for us, maybe it's too risky, maybe I don't understand everything, I need to do more research, so I'm going to do my research and then start later. So I think it's, you know, starting a bit earlier um, and giving a space for women to be able to, to talk about money in a, in, in a different way than, you know, the usual conversations uh, people Thank have you. been having about money for a long time. that's a perfect segue, I think, into the question that Mortgage Mind asked earlier. Thank you, Mortgage Mind, for buying a badge. Also, greatly appreciated. Which is, if you wanted to get in, started investing for the first time and you have a sense that it's something you're supposed to do, but you don't know where to start, what one tip would you give, would you give to people looking to start investing? Just do it. <laughs> so let's 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 talk a little bit about investing. This is really like one of my favorite topic, and 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 I really started Vespod to help women start their investing journey. But now you can't all start investing today all of your money because there's a few rules <laughs> before you can you can get started. So. 
that's why we, with Vespod we start we, we sort of took a st step back and thought about okay what do you need before you start investing money before you start investing money you need to make sure you have some savings um so maybe you have an emergency fund you have you know a few maybe a month's salary maybe two months ideally three to six months but you have money in cash somewhere so in case you you know you have an emergency yep. you don't need to sell all your investments then also having repaid your expensive debts, you know, we're thinking, I'm thinking credit cards, overdraft. If you're paying 20% uh, to your bank on your credit card, okay, maybe you may be a really good investor in the stock market, but that's going to be really hard um, to make this like regular type of, of return on your, on your investment. So make sure you have some cash because cash, cash is king. You know, we all need to have some cash somewhere, but also very quickly, can you start investing? And I think Starting investing is the most exciting thing in your journey because now investing is really open to all. You have platforms where you can actually invest your spare change. So some auto-saving apps, they let you just invest maybe five pounds. I mean, can you afford to lose? And it's not even lose, but, you know, when you see these disclaimers on the site, it's like, you know, only invest money you can afford to lose. For me, it's more invest money you can afford to live in the stock market for five years or for 10 years. So start with this five pound, you know, just, you know, skip your coffee tomorrow or maybe, you know, skip your dinner next week and invest this like 50 pound and just put it in the stock market. And you see it's such a great feeling. So you may not know everything about how to get started. And that's why there's other platforms called the robo advisors. And the robo advisors, they are not advisors. They are not robo. So you don't really know, you know, what they are, but they're, automated investment platforms and by joining them you agree to do a direct debit usually so you say okay every month i'm gonna invest 25 pounds and this can be through a stock sanchez isa it can be through a pension a private pension a sip uh, s-i-p-p uh, usually um, and then you can invest every month and these robo advisors they're really cool because they invest your money on your behalf. So you don't have to do the research of trying to find this fund or this stock or picking whatever. Um, but it's actually, they will invest for you. And usually they invest it in a portfolio of funds, maybe five to 20 different funds, depending on, you know, how old are you, uh, the type of risk you're willing to take with your money, and you're going to be invested. Also, if you have a pension, a workplace pension, a private pension, well done because you're already an investor in the stock market. So if you have a pension, you don't know where it is, uh, or maybe you've worked with like a previous employer before you had a pension, just call them up, find your previous pension, potentially consolidate them, um, and you can get advice on, on, on these type of, of transactions. But look at how, what's, what's your pension? What's in it? You know, you've been putting money every, every month. And if you have a workplace pension, that's fantastic because you're putting away money into a pension pot. The government is giving you back the taxes you would have paid. And also your employer can be, I mean, he's giving you money, uh, but it can also be matching your contribution. So don't leave like free money on the table. Like take it, check, you know, what's the agreement with, with your employer and your employer and your pension plan. And then call them up, like open your pension statements. Look at what, where is my money invested? You know, which companies am I backing? Um, do I agree with that actually? Do I want to take more risk, less risk? So, that's already like a first stage for me. And then if you want to invest more and if you become, so I started with the robo advisors um, and I think they work really well. And then of course, once you start to learn more about how to pick funds, how to pick stocks, you want more flexibility, then you can use, you know, there's lots of investment platforms. Um, even your bank will have this, this sort of things um, of like, a fund supermarket also where you can go put some money and just pick and choose like you're in a supermarket you come with your basket with you know your credit card a bit of money and then you can pick and choose the stocks you like and, and the funds you like and build your own portfolio but it's not like in one day you're going to become this like you know amazing investor that will you know spend their day on you know bloomberg or trying to pick their stocks i think there's a misconception that investing for yourself feels like being a trader it's not. Investing should actually be really boring, especially when you start. You should, you know, put money into your robo advisor or into your portfolio and almost delete your investing app. You don't have to think about it. And that's why I think when you read research about women investors, um, women tend not to overreact to the stock market because that's really stressful <laughs> to be, you know, your eyes on your screen. It's worse than Instagram and watching us, you know, talking about, about investing, but seeing, you know, your stocks in the red, in the green. I want to buy, I want to sell. 
just remove this from the equation. Remove all the noise. Remove your friends' comments about investing. No, you're just doing it for yourself. Go on your platform, have a date with your robo-advisor or with, with your own money and maybe once, once a month or once a quarter, look at your investments. But make sure the most important is really you know, having money that's going into your investment accounts on a, on a monthly basis to make sure you pay yourself and you don't forget about your, your future self. So investing, auto-saving apps, um, you know, um, investment platforms, robo-advisors, uh, fund supermarket, your pension, and use the you know, tax-efficient vehicles. Uh, the government is going to help you to put money away for the long term. So they're going to do that via, you know, the pensions and via the ISA. So the stocks and share ISA and the, and the lifetime ISA. So start looking up at this, at this, at this product. Um, they can be, they can be really, really useful. Um, just when you were speaking before about the men in the pub, hope I pronounced this properly. Um, Lloyd Lara Cavalier says, yes, a lot of women don't like to talk about money. Um, when we were talking about investing for the first time, Ms. Campbell says, research and ask questions. That's how I got started. Um, if you are happy to, Emily, uh, C. Amina has asked, what apps would you recommend for these robo-advisor um, ad services? Yeah. So if you want, I mean, one of the good auto-saving app is maybe Moneybox. Um, I think it's, it's very easy to use. And then if you look at the robo-advisors, there's a, a website um, that I like called Boring Money uk and borrowing money what they do is they will compare all these like robo advisors because i can tell you one that i like but it's not yeah. going to be perfect for you timmy for example <laughs> so we may use like different platforms um but some of the big names and you see them yeah. in the tube are like nutmeg wealthify you know money farm um you know pension b is like more of a you know investment platform but more like consolidating your your pension so you know i'm just dropping a few names here uh, but really like do your own research and then if you move into something that's more diy investing i'd say maybe you know aj bell hargreaves lansdorm interactive investor um and then you know your bank will also your retail bank may also offer these these types of service so you know, I would go on like a, you know, comparison website and then look at, you know, what are the platforms? What is the minimum investment per month? Um, what are the fees? Because fees are really important. Of course, if you use a robo-advisor, that's going to be a bit more expensive than doing your DIY investment because you have this robo putting together and, and robo. And actually, there's like an investment manager working for this platform. And there's, you know, so, some people also helping you. If you work with an advisor, that's going to be even more expensive, of course, because you have this human interaction. Um, so decide what you're willing to pay, how much money you want to put every month. Do they have pensions? Do they have ISA? And then what do you want to invest in? Do you want to buy, you know, a stock in a specific company? Then, you know, the robo-advisors are not going to be able to offer you this option because they do like one big democratic, you know, investment for everyone. So if you want to pick your own stocks, then you have to go for something a bit more um, DIY. Um, just don't forget the rules that you can only open one stock Sanchez ISA per year and put some money into it. So don't start playing around and open like, investment accounts and stocks and share ISA everywhere. Um, you know, make sure you just check the rules. This happens very often. Um, and also, yeah, if you have, if you have your, your pension, check who's your pension provider, potentially consolidate your, your, your previous pensions. But if you go on like an aggregator, a comparison website, you will see what are the, the main platform. Make sure they're registered with the FCA uh, and that your money is protected under the FSCS. So these are like the two stamps um, and you should check that these are on, the, on your platforms. That means, you know, your, your money is safe. If you make mistakes with your investments, that's, <laughs> that's for you. But at least if the, the platform goes bust for any, any reason or they don't manage to raise their next round of venture capital money, um, you, can, you can still uh, awesome. get your, your money I think, back. I uh, just think you touched upon the difference between a DIY platform and a robo-advisor. I, I like to think of using a robo-advisor platform like buying furniture from Ikea. So it's really pre-packaged and using a DIY platform like buying pieces of wood and building your own furniture. With the latter, you can expect to spend less money, but do more work. And with the former, you open it up, all the screws and bolts are there already, <laughs> but it probably cost a bit more, but it's more convenient. Um, that's cool. Um, I like it. Good one. And your book also talks about, in your book, you talk about 
money management, you talk about investing, you also talk about property. Do you have, um, for people that are looking to go on property ladder at the moment, what one thing would you say to them um, by way of, of help? So I think it's start saving now for your for your deposit. I think this is the, the hardest thing. Um, if you're an employee, it should get a bit easier to get a mortgage versus being like a freelancer or an entrepreneur. So I think for me, buying a property is making sure you organize your finances very quickly. And you think like maybe, you know, having a budget is boring, having my financial goals is boring. Actually, you need to organize all these things. And buying a house should be one of your financial goals, but it shouldn't be your only financial goal, unfortunately, because I see very, it's, it's super hard to buy a property, uh, especially here in the big cities. So what people tend to do is put all their savings, all their savings into their deposits, saving super hard to buy this property, getting on the property ladder. Maybe it's going to take like a number of years and then they've missed out on maybe their long-term pension, maybe they've missed out on their you know, long-term investment, maybe their pension. So all their money goes into the house. They have this huge mortgage. They are like borderline on affordability and then it costs them um, actually a, you know, a lot of money um, and they don't have any like spare cash. So for me, it's making sure, okay, you save for this deposit, but you don't forget about these other like important things in life. Um, I know that you know, buying a house is one of these like, big goals for, for everyone. And we talk a lot about that. Um, but if you can't do it and you feel, you know, it's going to be too much and I can't buy this property, maybe can you buy something else? Or maybe can you do something else with the money in the meantime? Maybe can you invest this money if you feel you're not going to be able to, to buy this property within the next five to 10 years? I don't know. But it's, okay, it should be the goal. And if it's the goal, you know, go for it and save everything and be really strict with your budget and stuff. But if you feel, you know, you know you're not too sure, there's also other things you yeah, can, I don't you can do with that. Yeah, I don't want to trivialize the point at all because houses are hella expensive to use the technical term. One of the things I'm hoping will come as a shift um, from the adaptations we've made from the pandemic is that there is more of a remote working culture and therefore people can be a bit more location independent yep. than perhaps we had to be a couple of um, years ago. Um, but yeah, uh, it is a multi-year um, project and you definitely need to know where you want to buy and that you definitely want to live where you're buying the house and think long-term about it. Yeah, and if you think you're going to have a, you know, a family very soon or if you think you're going to have children, I mean, for me, that's something... I didn't look into and then I had my children and I was like, okay, I'm, now I'm going to look for schools. Do I have schools around where I live? You know, so I think, you know, trying to sort of visualize yourself and your life and then be ready to move there um, and, and, and maybe, you know, be a bit flexible on, on some, some things. But for me, you know, school, if you think you can have a family, that's a really big one and you don't want to be moving house every, every two years. So it's okay to, you know, start with maybe a smaller place in an area that you, you know, you're not, you know, that's like not booming at the moment and then slowly selling it and buying a bigger one. I think that's also very smart. And in the wallet in our podcast, I often ask guests, you know, what's your best financial decision? And, and buying a home very early on has been also buying a home like 20 years ago was like a different story. Um, but I think it was it's always one of the good choices. And people were like, you know, I bought in this area that, you know, no one wanted to go there. And actually, it ended up being like a super cool area in London now. So it's can you try to do a bit more research and find this like up and coming area where you feel you're going to make a slightly better deal or at least you can afford a property of a decent size that's going to be good for your family. Maybe there are schools around. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully, you know, property prices will, will go up. But it's like, don't put everything in this house. Make sure you also have a little bit of disposable income for yourself in case something happens and you also yeah. put money towards your, your financial future. Just one more question from the comments, Emily, before we go into the rapid fire questions. The Black Polaroid asks regarding changing a NISA, because you're talking about not opening stock and you can only open one uh, stock and shares ISA per tax year. Regarding changing yeah. an ISA, can I do a mid year by transferring and closing one ISA to go to another? Is that correct? So you can transfer, yeah, whenever you... Also, you don't lose the tax benefits. So, you know, with pensions, with ISA, never take your money out. Um, I mean, unless you need it for, for the ISA, for example. Uh, but yeah, transfer it. So talk to your you know, 
ISA provider, pension provider, and ask them to transfer the money. Also, when you choose an investment platform, it's okay. Like you're not married to them. So you don't need to choose it and then stay with them for 20 years. You know, pick one that you like, try it on for like a year or two. And then if you don't like it, then you can ask them to move your money to, to another platform. So some platforms may charge you a fee for that. Hopefully not. Uh, and it can take a little bit of time, but it's, it's your money. You're the client. So, you know, whatever you want to do, if you follow the yeah, rules, then just to build you upon what Emily to said, um, the black Polaroid. One thing to be mindful of is, your ISA allowance is £20,000 a year and it stacks. Um, if you transfer an ISA to another provider, you can transfer, you have to transfer everything you've put in in the current tax year. So that's since April. But you can move as much as you like from everything put in from previous tax years. So that's just something to be mindful of with ISA transfers. Um, but as Emily said, you can move your money from provider to provider if you fancy a change. This has been a fantastic conversation. Time to get onto the rapid fire questions. Um, so the first one Ooh. is what's been your <laughs> biggest financial achievement to date? I think for me, it's investing money, um, you know, and, and getting better at investing money, which you know, I think it's really a learning curve. So when I started investing, I was picking stocks, uh, individual stocks, um, spending a lot of time on my <laughs> Yahoo Finance, whatever apps, looking at, um, you know, sort of the fundamentals, okay, but also the share price and being like very excited and about buying low, selling high. The best and way and to actually lose money. A compulsion, <laughs> doesn't it? it you know, checking your investment. Uh, yeah, your of investments course. every it's day completely it's addictive. you just realize that you're doing it in a very similar to anyone who's like i don't know had a crush on someone and been waiting for that text message to come in or like in the early days of facebook when you're yeah. waiting <laughs> wanted to see if someone had tagged you or commented on your photo it can very quickly turn into that but why do we think that that might not necessarily be a, a good idea um emily yeah, I mean, I've I've made mistakes. So, you know, I've, when you have a portfolio of five stocks, so stocks are like, you know, a small portion of a company. So basically being invested in like five companies. If, you know, one of the companies goes bust or loses a lot of money and, you know, that has an impact on share price. If you think about Lehman Brothers, I worked for a company that went bankrupt. So the share price went to zero. So it's not going to happen every day with these big companies. But if you had all your money invested in Lehman Brothers, you would have lost literally all your money. So that's when I learned about, you know, diversification and more like passive investing because I'm not a trader. I have a full-time job. So it's not my job to actually look at these stocks all day long and try to make like the best investment decisions. Or So now what I've done is I've actually picked some funds and tried to diversify my investments as much as I could. And then I know my money is there. Uh, you know, these companies are growing. If one company is not performing, it's dropping out of the index. It's going to be replaced. So I don't need to check my investments every day. But then, of course, I still have like a few stocks that I really love and I still have them in my portfolio. But I said these are like a smaller portion of my of my overall portfolio. And then so investing, you know, has been sort of a journey and I'm still learning and I love it. And I started to look at other asset classes that can be seen as more risky, such as crypto. And again, you know, a lot more risky, but these are like a very small portion of my portfolio. And I looking, I started looking at cryptos maybe five years ago. So it's been a ride, <laughs> uh, but it's also like, yeah, I think it's a fantastic area for, if, you know, if you want to learn. And for me, the best way to learn is actually have some skin in the game. And my, my friend, Amso who run like a, a crypto startup, Kaiko says that it's get started, small scale, 50 pounds, whatever you can afford. And that's going to be the best way for you to actually learn because you can follow hours and hours about investing. But unless you invested and there's, you know, movements on the stock market, drawdowns, you feel your 50 pound actually worth 25 pounds, you know, um, it's having this feeling of, you know, what do I do with, with my money? It's real, it's happening. So get into it very small, you know, what you can afford to play with for long, long term. And slowly you will, you will build up and you, you will see, um, you know, your, your investments grow over time. Investing, the so investing definitely. What one term. piece of money advice would you have given to yourself 10 years ago? I would have yeah. said, start investing. 
No, but I think start investing and, and you know, maybe for kids, I don't know, start investing and, and investing maybe on a, you know, broader sense, like invest also in yourself. You know, we spend our time, you know, looking at, you know, our, our jobs, but it's, it's really like, okay, we're going to be living a long time. How do I get better at what I do? What are my interests? Um, you know, in terms of, you know, finances are, are one pillar of wellness or well-being. So do you think about yourself? Like what do you eat? How do you exercise? How much time do you spend with your family? How much time you spend with your friends? And really write down these priorities because, I mean, I've been, you know, working really hard in finance for a long time and you can easily forget about everything that's happening to your body, uh, to, you know, people around you. So really like write on your values, your priorities and invest in yourself. And again, you're, you know, it's not going to be a change in one day, but slowly, you know, eating better, exercising, spending time outside, looking at your investment portfolio, looking at your finances. Um, and having the, these things, uh, I think it's, it's really going to be, you know, on your side for when you retire, because it's good to have a pot of money, but then if you're not healthy, um, if you haven't seen your friends for 50 years, then, you know, it's going to, it's going to be pretty boring. So really invest in yourself. If you were to win the lottery, let's say you were to win 10 million pounds, how would you allocate that money? I think I'll just launch a Vespot foundation <laughs> and I'll, I'll found, you know, I mean, I'll help, Women uh, help other women basically solve their financial issues. So for me, it's making sure women, you know, don't end up in debt or if they do, how they can repay it, what are the best, you know, tools for them, making sure women have enough for themselves, for their families, and really fight these gaps that we still see that are, that make literally like no sense uh, today. So it's going to take like a hundred years to clo close the gender pay gap. I mean, this is crazy. Can we actually accelerate things and make sure women are paid the same as men? I mean, that sounds like a basic, you know, equality, equality rights that we sort out childcare, especially in the UK, the cost of childcare is, you know, crazy. And women have to just stay home because their kids need them, which is fine, but maybe they want to work also. Um, so can we help women and support women uh, a little bit more? So I think it's, I think we understand the issues. There's, you know, policies are not there yet. Um, and I think that's why there's a lot of, lot of us, uh, you know, fighting for, for individual rights. Um, but I think, yeah, it's, it's going to take, hopefully we can accelerate things a little bit more, but I think when, when you start funding female businesses and when VC start giving up a bit more, I mean, VC does only like 2.3% of venture capital money going into like female founded startups. I mean, 2.3%, this is just ridiculous. So can we change the game a little bit? And we need to see women who are getting wealthier and a lot, lot wealthier who can then support other women, invest in their companies, invest in their businesses, help them train, help them, you know, be at the, be at the top. And then hopefully we'll start um, like a, a, new, a new cycle. I think, like what's just come to mind for, you, for me there is um, not investing in um, like female-led startups, women not investing, there being a gender pay gap is essentially a massive waste, right? Because it's 50% of the population not being able to fulfill their potential, which doesn't really benefit anybody. No, you're, you're right. And, and also when you look at the shift of wealth, women are actually becoming wealthier and they will own a majority of the world's wealth, maybe, you know, 50 to 60% in a few years. So what, you know, what are financial institutions doing to help women actually, you know, like manage their finances, make better investments. And, and, you know, there's been a lot of research showing that women are interested in impact investing, ESG, so making good with their money. Fantastic. Can we help women do that? Can we, you know, give them the tools to be able to do that? So I think, yeah, supporting women a, a lot more and, and empower them with, you know, their finances and tools and stuff, because we know how to do it. Uh, but we just, um, yeah, we just need a, yeah, a little push, motivation and making sure our money goes into the, you know, the right. What right are your long-term money goals? Long-term money goals, I think for me, Vespod is, is, is a big one. So making sure, you know, 
we can give back um, in any way. Uh, I think this best spot foundation for me is a big one. Maybe having a fund, um, making sure we can, yeah, redistribute some of, you know, some of, of the money, making sure we help banks, um, you know, being more, you know, inclusive and diverse. Um, yeah, so big goal is, you know, having a huge community of women who are just, yeah, investing, feeling good about it and helping their, you know, the economy and their, their, their families, their, yeah, their, their communities. Love it. I love the sound of the Vestpod Foundation as well. So do let me know if you need a trustee. Um, lastly, what does success mean to you, <laughs> Emily? So I think success to me now is uh, being able to do what I want to do, um, have the time to do the things um, that I want to do. Uh, and I think this has changed a lot from my early years in banking where success was defined by status, maybe by money and all these things. Um, of course, you need money now. Uh, if, you know, if you want to do whatever you want in life, that you know, money shouldn't be, shouldn't be an issue. But it's making sure you work on something that you're really passionate about. So for me, like running Vespot today is, is amazing and that's what I love doing. But it's also being able to see my three kids being home when they come back home, being able to, you know, drop them at school on the, on the morning and spend time with them on the weekend. So for me, this is success. It's, it's trying to find this balance that doesn't exist, but trying to, you know, see your, your family and, and, and being able to, yeah, work yeah, for me, uh, the older the I've gotten time. and the older my loved ones have gotten as well, the more important I've realized family is and, it is about money, yes, but it's also about the people in your life that you love and that love you. Um, that was the final rapid fire question, but we just, if we could do a very, very quick response to a question that just came into the question box, because I think it's an important one, Emily, and it's, what do you recommend women do when negotiating salary packages and shares and bonuses? So it's the pay rise question. What approach would you recommend there? always negotiate i think we and i was the first one like never negotiated my salary because people told me yeah but you know salaries are fixed and then next year you're gonna get that and that actually no you should always go and negotiate if you're not happy you know you should talk about it and talking to men i realized they negotiate maybe a lot more than than we do and, and negotiating is for me it's like a training um, and the more you do it, the easier it gets. And now I negotiate a lot for Vespod and Vespod is basically myself, <laughs> you know, going and negotiating um, all these like deals or, you know, consultancy, whatever I do, public speaking. Um, this is really, really hard. Uh, but I interviewed this, this woman called Cindy Gallop on the wallet last week. And she said, you know, when you go and you're going to negotiate, you're going to throw one number and you should literally like, be laughing about this like it's going to be a huge number and that's fine and you know what they will accept it and for for this part that you know happened to me a few times so it's really like trying to push yourself um a little bit more and what i do now i see sort of this thing about like a game um and you know you're not going to lose it's fine so make sure of course make sure you do your job properly but make sure you write your achievements i think a big thing for me that you know i didn't do was at the end of the week, sit down for five minutes and write the three things you've achieved this week. Like, what are the three things I've done this week for my company, for myself? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been great. Like, it's been fantastic. And then after six months, you can open this book and look at, okay, what I've, I've achieved all these things for my company. I deserve to be paid more. And it's not me against my employer, but it's like together we want to grow this company. We want to get more clients. We want to get more money for the business. How we do that, you know, collectively, and then we can have this, this conversation. So I think it's don't shy away from the conversation. Don't wait until you have your, you know, salary appraisal. At, you know, it's always like, you know, be in touch with your, with your boss, with your colleague, talk, talk a little bit more about money. I know there's like this secrecy around salaries, and this is really not helping women, to be honest. So can you open a little bit more about salaries, find your allies in the workplace, maybe mentors, maybe advisors, open up the conversation, um, and then you're going to be ready for your salary negotiation. You're going to be ready to give this like ridiculous number. But it's like, again, like small efforts that will come on over time. So I think writing your achievements on a weekly basis, that's a big, big win. Um, and that's going to help also a lot the, the, the confidence. And then some workplaces are 
more toxic than others for women. And if it's the case, if you're not getting what you want, you should be ready to, you know, to leave if you can and, and potentially yeah, go somewhere else and, and, and get the money. Because unfortunately, if you don't get this like financial or economical empowerment, if you don't think it's fair, you know, you shouldn't be working for free because that's going to have a, such a big impact on, on, on your life uh, and on your, on your well-being. So know your priorities, yeah, but you know, don't, don't give up. Answer. And the only thing I'd say to add is um, talk to your colleagues about your salary, like trusted colleagues, but talk to them. Ask them how much they're earning. Don't take the answer personally yeah. because they're being paid by the company and you're being paid by the company. And then if anyone says that you can't do this, let them know that the 2010 Equality Act makes pay secrecy clauses unenforceable. You are completely allowed to talk to people in your workplace about how much you earn so that you can benchmark appropriately. This has been a fantastic conversation, uh, Emily. Um, do you have any questions for me before we wrap up? I have a question. What's your My financial, financial goal? goal <laughs> um, it's to be able to... So actually, Mr. Money Jar turns um, two today. So, yeah. Thank you. Wow. So it's to... Um, Happy birthday. To be able to run Mr. Money Jar as a sustainable business to enable me to live the life that I'd like to live. And I'd, I'd like, to, like to, to live a life where I can spend time with my loved ones, spend time with my, um, my wife, my family, and my friends help people, but also have a bit of fun and travel. And if I can make enough money to do that whilst helping people along the way, I'm... I'm... That's a win. Well, all the best. And I love that you talk about sustainability. We didn't talk about that, but I think for me, it's the same. It's building a you know sustainable business. And I think when we talk about money, you know, making sustainable choices for your money, the way you spend, the way you invest, the way you live your life. I think, um, you know, that, that should be like a, a strong yeah. value. For, Thank you for, for the love in the comments, by the way, for the happy birthdays. Um, Emily, you've been fantastic. Uh, the book, uh, the revised edition of uh, You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich, you can get it from most online um, yeah, retailers um, Everywhere, yeah, from online. bookstores as well. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining us. Is literally, I can't believe I'm sat across the screen from you. Um, so thank you so much for coming <laughs> Come on. and your expertise with us. Thank, thank you, you so much to me for tuning in and for your questions and for your comments. This has been a brilliant episode. We'll be back at the same time next week with another special guest. So until then, take care. Goodbye. Thanks, Jeff.